Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Training camps are here, football is back, and the Pick 6 NFL podcast will be with you all preseason, just like they've been in your podcast inbox every day throughout the offseason. Join host Will Brinson daily to catch up on the latest from around the league with an added fantasy and gambling twist. Make sure that you're ready for the 2019 NFL season and download and subscribe to the Pick 6 podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Win totals rolling on. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. The ACC will be our focus this week. We've got the Coastal Division for today. We've got the Atlantic Division for Thursday. It is the conference of the reigning champions. And uh, and, and Barton, like... With, with all of the media days done, the Pac-12 will be going tomorrow, July 24th. I, I feel like we're really it, – it's – it is starting to get to the point where college football is on my mind uh, almost all the way. The Open Championship is done, so golf is kind of in the rear view for me. I know today is a big rankings day if you're into the recruiting scene. It's, a, it's over on 24-7 Sports. Uh, by the time you get this, there'll be new rankings. But, like, man, you know, we start chewing on win totals. Now I'm starting to think about game lines. Like, it's, it's finally starting to feel real. Yeah, we got a rankings update today. That'll be cool um looking forward to the twitter mentions and that uh we got acc and then what are we doing big 10 next week and then sec that's right is that where we're at yeah um and then we get and then we near and then we get into the locks um yeah man it's all coming together um and i i, I actually think because we're doing coastal today and i've been talking about how hard it is to predict like the big 12 i mean the coastal is a total mess just a just a total cluster. Like any anything can happen. I don't think Georgia Tech is going to win the coastal, but I'd say just about anything else is uh, within the realm of possibility. Did you happen to catch the uh, 173 media members, or at least credentialed human beings, at the ACC football kickoff, including myself, uh, submitted a ballot for the ACC preseason order of finish? Did you happen to catch the results of that balloting, particularly as it pertains to the Coastal Division? I, I, I caught who was number one. Uh, uh, and I wonder if that's going to move the line any, right? Yeah, especially with where we are picking it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was among the, I was among the uh, media members who did slot Virginia in that top spot. And, you know, a lot of my thinking in it, and we'll, we're going to talk about Virginia here in a little bit, so I don't want to spoil all of it, but, you know, it it is a situation where in an eight-game conference schedule, 
sometimes you're thinking, you know what? Five and three might be the winning, uh, the division winner might be five and three. And I'll tell you what, Bronco can get those boys to five and three. With this schedule, he can get them to five and three. Now, the reason I asked, because it goes to your earlier point, did you notice that every single team in the Coastal Division got a first place vote? No, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, Someone voted Georgia Tech number one? Yeah. And Duke and North Carolina. Yeah. Wow. So on one side of the conference, it was like 170 media members or 171 media members picked Clemson to win uh, the Atlantic Division and two picked Syracuse. Okay. Okay. You've heard about my love for Damn, Tommy DeVito. Syracuse. But okay. every single school uh, got a first place vote in the Coastal Division. Virginia, uh, for those who don't have it up or haven't seen it, Virginia came in just ahead of Miami and Virginia Tech uh, in that polling. Which is why, I mean, the we'll we'll get into it uh, when we get to the, them. But, I mean, the, the, the number was so odd. I just, that was... That was one of those uh, what am I missing type of deals. Obviously, I'm leaning in the over, uh, but I just six and a half for Virginia with that schedule. And hey, there's a lot of with that schedule in the coastal. There's a lot of of kind of clear sailing in the coastal schedule wise, uh, and Virginia is is among them. So before we get into uh, the actual win totals, I wanted to take a look back at a conversation that stemmed from Big Ten Media Days and extended on into the beginning of the week on Monday in particular. Uh, When it comes to the NCAA's attendance decline, uh, it was these comments from Pat Fitzgerald. I'm just going to play them and, uh, and then we'll get into it. These things. I think phones, I think technology has been the decline in attendance, number one. I think, you know, watching young people today live like this instead of like that. You know, Stacey and I were out on a date last night, and there was two couples, two groups of couples sitting next to us, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm old. Like, not one of the four couples were talking to each other. They were all on their phones, and it just drove me up. to. I literally wanted to be like a dad and go, like, give me your phone, talk to each other. I mean, this is pathetic. So it was really, really pathetic. And I think that's just, it's just changed the way a lot of younger people and younger fans intake is all through technology. And I mean, you watch a concert and everybody's holding their phone up. Like, listen, watch, take it in, create a memory. Because they don't go back and watch the videos. They just want to post it on their social media which is pathetic because it creates a society of, look at me, isn't my life great? Even though when they go home, they're like, I hate myself, I hate my life, everything's wrong. So I think it's a big cause. I think it's, I think it's the root cause, number one. Um, you know, I think the fans that grew up going and tailgating and the fans that grew up going to the stadiums four hours before the games are getting a little older. And I think the next and, and younger generation of fans are more reliant on technology. They'd rather have 12 TVs set up in their in their TV watching cave than go to a game and experience the pageantry and the tailgating. So I think it's definitely things that we, we need to look at as, as, as a brand, college football, on how we can maybe create that type of environment and experience while respecting our communities and our neighborhoods to make sure 
the experiences that are happening don't impede on those neighborhoods. These things. So what do you think about that, Barton? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I agree with everything he's saying. Um, I, I, I mean, I also don't know that, that I necessarily... I agree with the sentiment. I don't know that I necessarily agree that sort of – I mean, I think it, the, the idea of the man cave, the idea of, of, of accessibility on TV, um, I mean, it used to be there was what, like three games on TV a day. I mean, it was like you had your, you know, your – whatever was on your local station, you had uh, – the Jefferson pilot SEC game or whatever you had your, uh, whatever was on ESPN. Like there, there was a, you had four games to choose from over the course of the day. And so the, the proliferation of options absolutely makes it a little bit less appealing to just go see, uh, in my case, Nashville, you know what Vanderbilt play Furman or something. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 but I, th- I think that probably there's there's other problems to point to uh, beyond just the distraction of of technology. Um, but I don't disagree with his his sentiment. I think Pat Fitzgerald is is <laughs> I think I think he's on it. I think that number one, the first thing that comes to mind is you made your bed and now you've got to lie in it. And if the conferences decided. Uh, almost two decades ago that the primary way to generate revenue for athletic departments and for universities through college athletics is going to be through television rights deals. It's like, this is going to be the primary revenue driver. We're not going to be as worried about selling tickets because that's not going to bring in as much money. We're not going to be worried about some of these other in-person events, the way that we are able to build these shiny locker rooms and do all these things and have these stadium upgrades uh, if, if it's not money coming straight out of the hands of donors and boosters, then it's going to have to be from television rights deals. And that has been true. Like that has been very, very lucrative for college athletics. But when you shift to creating a television product, then you are going to be dealing with the situation where the television product might be better than the in-person product. Um, and you know what else I think about? I think about like our listeners and I think about me, even if I wasn't doing this for a job, if I if I still had the same just diehard, uh, big view, sort of college football junkie approach to it, because thank goodness you can set up a bunch of TVs and watch a bunch of games and flip around and take it all in. Because if you couldn't, then things like, like there wouldn't be the demand for uh, the the fans that tune in and listen for the locks every single Thursday or the fans that want to, you know, tune in on Sunday and and hear what we've got to say, not just about what happened in one little conference, but like for real, let's, let's take a look at everything that happened in college football and that, that national approach to not just being uh, a college football you know, writer or analyst or talking head, but that national approach to being able to be a fan and have all that at your fingertips. I mean, Barton, that kind of drives us. So I'm, I'm, we made our bed and now we lie in it. Man, Chip, I think that's a, I think that's a really insightful point because I, I think, yeah, 
you know, Northwestern, for example, is losing the direct sales, their direct revenue of buying a ticket and going to the game as as uh, attendance declines. But I think you could make an argument that there's some. I mean, the, the TV right seals is is one is one iteration of this. But I think you can make an argument that the sort of the national appetite for college football, the interest of uh, somebody in Arizona of what Northwestern's team looks like this year is probably growing. And, and that might not be – you might not see that as directly with the bottom line, but I, but I suspect that it, it does create sort of a – more national awareness. It does create more just a, the, the brand of college football that he's talking about. I, I suspect that it probably is beneficial to that as a whole and this sort of um, residual impact nationally from that is, is probably there more than Pat Fitzgerald or, or any of us recognize. So I think that's a really interesting point um, because, yeah, like the, when is – I mean – People want to now sit there and watch Northwestern, and because they've they've won a few games. Whereas I, f- I feel like two decades ago, all you really were into was was your team and how the rest of the country impacts your team. And I, I think that that's I think people are getting out of that sort of uh, mentality a little bit. I have. Uh friends that I was at North Carolina with now that when we meet up, whether it's uh, going to grab dinner or going over their house or, or just meeting up for, for drinks or something, uh, they're like friends who just are far more concerned with what we think is going to happen when Georgia goes into Baton Rouge than what the Tar Heels got coming up against Georgia Tech on Saturday. And we're like uh, far more concerned with what Pac-12 after dark game or what Mountain West game on CBS Sports Network we're going to be laying on late in the night when things are winding down. Like there's, there is like, I, I just, I see it with certain relationships here locally where it's like, wow, you have no reason to really be that into David Shaw, except for the fact that college football has become this national product that you are able to take in from your home with your 12 TVs. Well, and I also think about it in, in this, like, I I don't know if I should admit this, but some, I mean, wh- I, I went to a handful of games last year. I'll, I'll probably go to a handful of games this year, and those are great. And one of the games I went to was the whiteout, the Penn State-Ohio State game. That at- Experiencing that atmosphere was unbelievable. And and yet, when I get sort of assigned a game, uh, I hope, our bosses aren't listening, but I'm a little bit like, <laughs> you know, I'm a little conflicted. Right. Because I go to that game and it's just that game and I can't consume everything and I want to see it all. And, and, and so I think even if this wasn't my job, even if, if I was just a football fan, I think if, if given the option between sitting in my man cave and drinking as much, you know, beer as the, as we got left in the case and, you know, ordering a pizza and fl- flipping the channels when it, when a game goes bad, like I would take that over going to random ACC Atlantic matchup. And now that's not to say, you know, 
it's not awesome to like rally the troops for like once a year going for a big blowout and tailgating four hours beforehand and you know going to the game and experiencing a cool atmosphere like that's that's a sort of a once a year type of thing is is still really appealing to me but on a week in week out basis i i don't know like I, i'm i'm probably i I don't know if I'm in the majority or not. I'm sure a lot of people would probably scoff at this, but I, I have no. Like, I, I'll put it this way: I have no interest in going to Tennessee Titans games right now. None. I mean, I, I, if if the, if I want to see the Titans play, I will watch them on TV. It's because you got to get down there and and you have to park and you have to, and getting in the stadium's hard. And then, you know, the food's expensive and the and you know if it's a bad game, sometimes I don't know. Like it's just. There's a lot, and and I, I, I again, I acknowledge when you sort of making it a, an event, and even when you're a, a diehard fan and you do go and tailgate, that makes it sort of different. But just attending a game for the sake of attending it, I don't know. My, I, I am with, I guess, all the millennials on their phones, um, because I, it's just less appealing than it once was. Well, and and I do think that to to bring this back home, uh, Pat Fitzgerald did say, uh, you know. We need to uh, create an environment that's attractive, and I think that that's where it is. The onus is on the schools, it's on the uh, the athletic departments that you know you have an event, and just like uh, you know, like just like if you're organizing a a five k through a neighborhood or a a battle of the bands at a high school, you got to promote that event and you got to do what you can to try to make that attractive to people because you do have competition on those Saturdays uh, and it's not all local with, uh, with all the football that's available nationally. Um, all right. You want to, you want to jump into it? Let's do it. All right, let's go. As much as I think it's the, the under Count is a safe up. play, like I can't even. Count them up. I can't fathom who wins. How many kids are gonna win this fall? I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. Now, a uh, an astute listener of the show, Barton, did you see what the current theory of what team we were talking about when you said that legendary I, line? I, I did see so when someone said South Carolina is the theory there. Yeah. So where we're, we're, that would have been South Carolina in what, 2017? Mm-hmm. Are you sure it or won t- 2018? Or, or 2016. Or 2018. I think it was 2018. Because we went into last year, uh, which you know would be a great call for Barton, because we went into last year, remember talking Jake Bentley. We were talking South Carolina. You know, are they going to knock off Georgia week two? I mean, that South Carolina SEC East Dark Horse was one of those really fun <laughs> preseason storylines that lasted for like six weeks in the preseason and then only two weeks into the season. Right. Like that was that they, was that was one my the the SC, the the South Carolina as a dark horse in the SEC was a uh, was one of my favorite eras in the history <laughs> of preseason college football. <laughs> I mean, we. Nobody – everyone thought there was a chance, and some people really thought there was a chance. And But I don't know, man. Like, that was surely, – surely it wasn't 2017 because then it would have pushed. They went 8-4 regular season in 2017. Um, 
No, I think I think it would have definitely gone under, I think, uh, because they would have needed to beat Clemson in the regular season finale to push. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's like the the South Carolina hype was such that we had JC Sherbert and Rusty Mansell on a two way pod going into that game. And JC was like, I don't know, man, there's some belief they can do it. And then yeah. that like Georgia, I don't think they, I don't have the score pulled up, but they didn't thump them, but they definitely beat them. And they beat them to a point where you're like, Oh no, South Carolina's not. Well, the game was getting- over. The game was over in the first quarter. I think that was there a pick six. I think uh, really quick. <laughs> something something that just totally kind of put a squashed the the, the, the nonsense pretty quickly. Uh, uh, so we'll see. That's, uh, South Carolina will be an interesting one to talk talk about when we get to the SEC in a couple weeks. All right. So we will begin at the top of uh, this odds board that we are working with right now. Again from the uh, from the FanDuel sportsbook. Uh, if any of these numbers are slightly off, let me know so that we can uh, adjust it for our analysis. But we're going to begin with the Miami Hurricanes. Manny Diaz is in town. Eight and a half? Is that what you're looking at? Uh, I used the... Yeah, I'm at eight and a half. I used the CBS story from like late June. So eight and a half. Eight and a half for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, Barton, what's your what's, what's your initial uh, thought? I guess, does how much does Tate Martell and you know Dan Enos and what the offense can be, how much is that playing a role in where your confidence is with the Hurricanes? Well, here's the Dan Enos thing is he is, I think, clearly a good quarterbacks coach. uh, And I think the quarterback room will be improved because of him. Who it is, I I really don't know. I was doing, uh, we were picking the, we were doing a video with Trey Scott for 24-7 Sports. And I was picking Miami's schedule. And we were taping it. And during the video sort of this back and forth where I go game by game and pick the schedule and Trey asked me on on video so who's going to be the, the starting quarterback for Miami and I just I froze up like I had I couldn't answer it I had no idea um and I, I mean Tate Martell Jaron Williams Nikosi Perry like I don't I don't know and I don't know that Miami knows yet um so, anyways, we had to scrap the video and start over because I just couldn't come up with a good answer. <laughs> and, and so, I I think I say that to say like I don't think there's a great option at quarterback, but I think the room will be improved because Dan Enos is a good quarterback developer. Now, here's the caveat with Dan Enos: he's getting a lot of credit for what Alabama did last year, uh, which is kind of ridiculous because Alabama had an offense that was as talented as any we've ever seen. Um, he did, he, he's, he's getting credit for Jalen Hurts' development, which I think is fair um, because it was the first quarterback coach Jalen Hurts ever really had. Um, but when you look at what Dan Enos has done as an actual offensive coordinator, I mean, he sort of presided over the decline at Arkansas. Uh, that's, that's his last ar- offensive coordinator stint is – is sort of running out of gas in the Brett Bielema era. And so I don't, I'm not, I don't think he is some save. I don't think he's some savior by the nature of, of kind of what Alabama did last year, but I think he's going to be a real benefit to the quarterback room. So 
I guess where I'm at with Miami is just a schedule. Like I think they'll be good. I think their offense will be good. I'm sorry. I think they'll do, I think their defense will be good. I think their offense has a chance because I do think Jeff Thomas is really good. KJ Osborne, the transfer from Buffalo, I think is a stud. Brevin Jordan should be really good in year two. So I just look at the schedule and I figure, all right, I, do, I don't think they're good enough to beat Florida. I I think that they – and they probably have two more losses in there somewhere. Uh, so I've got them at nine and three, but I but I think they're eight and they, this is a very eight and four looking team too. So I'm I'm not confident in an over. I'm 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 on the over, I guess technically, but I, this this team is not yet. I'm not yet ready to sort of push all my chips forward. I am still very confident in Miami's defense, and I think that. Um, what you have and it's not just with like Manny Diaz but I mean just think about like the significant snaps that this linebacking core of was it Shaq Quarterman Michael Pinckney and McLeod right Zach McLeod I think they're all seniors and they've all pretty much been three or four year starters and they've all played at an excellent level throughout that time so it it doesn't feel like there's anyone um, you know, not doesn't it doesn't appear that there's anyone that's going to be able to run over Miami, and so because you've got that defense being able to anchor you, I I agree that there is like there's no expectation for uh another another like you know just sort of bottom continuation of the bottom falling out as it did at the end of last season. No, I, I expect a strong response from Miami. Uh, I I honestly, how about this? I'm with you. I'm picking Florida in that opener. I would not be surprised if that's a field goal game. Just sort of the way that uh, both of these defenses are, the the awkwardness of that early week zero start. But all that said, and and I'm with you. I think I think KJ Osborne's going to be awesome. I think he's going to be a difference maker in the return game. And when when Jeff Thomas has been up and down uh, throughout his career, so a lot of that health related, but also just sort of status with the team. I think KJ Osborne seems like a real steadying presence at the skill position for him. DJ Dallas is pretty good, but man, I'm going under here because when I'm thinking about, and I'm thinking about like Virginia tech, Virginia at Pitt, at Florida state, that stretch between their two bye weeks, I think all those could be losses. And, and like you said, it, it could be an eight and four season, but you know, you you throw in those like wild card, like what Miami team is going to show up at Duke and who's got more to play for. Those games can be weird from time to time. Um, I certainly think that the Louisville game is going to be a win. UNC, Bethune Cookman, Central Michigan, like this this will be a successful season. But I I think that middle stretch is going to be real key for this over under, and I don't have confidence right now that when this Miami Hurricanes team needs a touchdown drive against uh, Virginia Tech or Virginia or even at Florida State or at Pitt, that they're necessarily going to be able to get it. I was trying to find their letdown loss on the schedule. Um, you know, I, I toyed with like them go, them beating Virginia at home on a Friday night and then losing to Georgia Tech the next weekend. Right. But I couldn't quite get up the courage for that one. Uh, maybe going to Florida State, big game, coming back and playing Louisville, a uh, team they'll overlook. Maybe that's one of the letdown game. I didn't quite get there there either. I just got their losses as, as like Florida, Virginia, and Florida State. But 
but I, but again, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like I don't, I just don't have a lot of confidence in this Miami team. I just, I don't know which way they're going to go. I mean, they've got offensive line needs to be overhauled to a certain degree. Uh, they only returned like two guys that played a bunch there. Um, I think their defense will still be really good, but I just we're, we're still so unknown at the quarterback. But I was looking at this too. I mean, is there a, is there a coach that just in terms of like how close Miami has been? They're just two years removed from being like the number two team in the country, right? Like they were they were ten and what what were they? They 10 were and 0. they were ten, 10 and 0, ten and 0. number two in the country, number two in the country, and then they have a sort of lay a lay a, a clunker against Pitt. I mean, if they just show up for that pick game, that's 11 and 0 heading into the, the ACC title game against Clemson. They still, probably still get stopped, but I mean, who knows? And it's just so wild to think how Mark Rick will forever be like what's the Mark Rick legacy? Just I feel like just sort of a his 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 parting um uh like picture of Mark Rick is this sort of boring middle of the road coach that recruits pretty well and has won a lot of games but never quite could get over the hump and he was like a he was 10 and 2 2 years ago or 10 and 0 2 years ago and the number 2 team in the country with two games to play he was in 2012 he was a play away from going to the national championship game and he was gone what 2 years later 3 years later it's just it's it's kind of a, I mean if if he just wins if he gets that play like how differently is he viewed um, from a legacy standpoint it's just it's a it's an unforgiving world for a coach man so i it it didn't help that they not only laid the clunker to pit but they could only get a field goal against clemson in the acc championship game and then they got worked i believe by wisconsin in the bowl game like they got uh they got an orange bowl bid. It was like a New Year's Six bowl game, and they were going up against Wisconsin, and just they lost. It was twenty thirty four twenty four. Okay, so they didn't get worked, but uh, not the best finish at all. Yeah, yeah. And to your point about Mark Richt, Mark Richt will be in some sense able to have a say or a control of what his legacy is because he is one of the leading studio voices for the ACC network. There you go. That's a good spot for him. Yeah, exactly. Likeable guy. Yeah, you can. You just. You just sort of take on a whole new sense of uh, of of who Mark Richt is when he's just up there talking about how great all the coaches are <laughs> on Saturdays. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's going to tee up a whole lot of uh, harsh <laughs> criticism. I, I'm not seeing that coming. Not at all. Count them up. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. How many games are going to win this fall? All right. As we work our way through the ACC Coastal Division, we move on to Virginia Tech. Uh, the Virginia Tech Hokies are in a real pivot point 
for Justin Fuente, 19 wins in the first two years. Everything's looking awesome. And then last season we had uh, before going into the year, there was trouble. There was uh, injuries and player disciplinary issues eliminated multiple starters and key players from the rotation before the season even started. Injuries continued to strike. There was, uh, you know, reports of some locker room dissent. There was more mid season disciplinary issues. And what it came down to was Virginia tech who is, has the FBS leading bowl streak right now, went into its regular season finale game against UVA with four wins, needing to win that and a rescheduled game against Marshall to be able to continue the bowl streak. They were able to beat UVA in overtime, and they were able to pull themselves up, but they did lose their bowl game. They finished six and seven. And uh, and and I think the onus is really on Fuente and the the sort of leaders and whoever is still around from this kind of mass exodus situation in Blacksburg to really put things back on the right path because you know from getting shredded by Old Dominion uh, you know there was just a, there was a lot throughout last season that was very very concerning so at eight and a half it's clear the odds makers have uh, have high expectations for the Hokies. Boy, that seems like a big line, doesn't it? Big number. That's that was a head scratcher for me. Um, they do. I know they're, they I mean, do play they were, two FCS teams. Okay, that helps. <laughs> uh, but, but there's, I mean, they, they they returned ten starters on defense. I I get it. It was, it was a pretty bad defense last year. Um, understandably, I mean, there are injuries. You kind of alluded to i mean there was there was suspensions it was sort of a mess i saw somewhere there 18 of 22 players on their defensive depth chart last year were freshmen and sophomore which is a pretty crazy number um so you got to believe this will be a dramatically improved defense i still don't necessarily i don't know who's supposed to be the next dude on the defensive line um you know they lose ricky walker Trayvon Hill was a non-factor based on a variety of reasons last year, but you know certainly looked good when he when he was on the team. Um, I I I think that they took their lumps in the secondary last year, but those guys are talented. I kind of know who they are, and so I think they'll be good on the back end. I just don't like. Are, are they going to be the old school Virginia Tech team that sort of is is nasty at the defensive line? I don't. I'm not necessarily there yet on that side of it. And that's that's given me a little hesitation to to sort of throw up the green light for breakthrough season. And I, I you know, def- offensively, how much confidence do you have in Ryan Willis? Clearly not that much because you're a big Josh Jackson guy. I am. Uh so I don't I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I I I I look at their schedule and you throw you throw in their non-conference wins, right? So Old Dominion, Furman, Rhode Island. So there's three we can get going. Um, I I got them losing at Boston College. Uh, I think they're probably better than Duke. I think they're probably lose at Miami. North, I think they lose at Notre Dame. So I've got. I think this is like an eight and four team. I, I don't. I just. I don't see it getting. I don't see it getting to nine and three. And then that's and that's that's an eight and four 
with sort of giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I'm at seven and five. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think Wake Forest at home is a set win. I don't think Pittsburgh at home is a set win. And goodness gracious, they better expect everything UVA's got because that is the one last yeah. big hurdle for Bronco right. Mendenhall in this positive mo- uh, movement. The Boston College game is tough because, hey, I hope your defense is ready for a fully healthy A.J. Dillon. Hey, we, we, ain't, we ain't talking about the Atlantic until Thursday, so I'll go ease on it. But uh, but there's some conversation like, yeah, A.J. Dillon wasn't all that healthy last year, and he still ran for about 1,200 yards. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've got him at 7-5. and five. This is a really, really clear under for me. Yeah, I, I yeah, I just this is one of those I need to hear. Like, who did Vegas's ACC Coastal win totals, man? Who's who they assigned to that job? Because I just I'm not. Uh, there's a couple that I don't get. Uh, eight and a half wins there is not one I get, and then we'll get to we'll get to Virginia. Uh, <laughs> Count them up. Up next, as we continue to uh, scroll through the always confusing and confounding ACC Coastal, it's the Duke. Blue Devils. And the Duke has an over-under win total set at six and a half. There is life after Daniel Jones, and it's going to be in the hands of Quentin Harris. Uh, there is a defense that is pretty solid along the defensive line. But, you know, when you look at the Duke schedule, the difficulty of getting to seven wins to hit this over or even six wins to make a bowl game starts right in week one where Duke will play Alabama – in Atlanta, and I I got to tell you, and this is not condescending, Barton, but don't you have a little bit of nervousness if you're a Duke football fan about, like, are they going to be able to get out of that game without some kind of hangover or health effects from it? Yeah, they got a – fortunately, they got North Carolina A&T the next week. You mean the HBCU and then a bye week? You mean the HBCU national champion, North Carolina A&T, home of Tariq Cohen? Woo! Okay, coming with some FCS knowledge. <laughs> Upset what alert. Up? Yeah. Upset alert. That's one of the best okay. FCS programs in the state. All right. I like that nugget. I didn't know that. Um, no, I, I look, this is not the type of team that, I mean, they're, just, they're not going to have the athletes. They're not going to have the bodies, the 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 girth to, to, to really deal with what Alabama will be throwing at them. So I think that's, I don't know who thought that was a good idea to schedule that game, but here we are. And they also have, I think was another non-conference loss sort of baked into the schedule too with Notre Dame. Right. Um, so this, I'm I'm not super confident here. Now I, I grant that Duke has a little Northwestern in them where, cause this is the type of team that I'm not going to be as bullish on because I'm not going to recognize as many of these names. Like these guys weren't highly regarded players. I haven't followed them and, and, and they can sort of do it with anonymous faces to a certain degree. But I think when I like Duke is losing their top three wide receivers, their top two tight ends, of their top four, like the, all of their top four pass catchers are gone. And all we heard, all NFL draft, 
was how the reason Daniel Jones wasn't uh, wasn't more productive is because his skill weapons were so bad. Well, all the guys that were so bad are gone. So who are the guys behind them that weren't good enough to play? Like, are we supposed to expect that they take a big step forward with Quentin Harris throwing him the football? And not only that, but if we are to believe that Daniel Jones, and look, there's, there's, uh, we've talked about it on the pod, there's, there is valid reason to, to support Daniel Jones as being the fourth NFL draft pick. But if he is that good, if he's an NFL first rounder franchise quarterback, then how is he only able to elevate his team the last two years to seven to six, eight and five? I know what he was. Was it last year? Seven was 2017. I think he was injured a little bit, maybe. Um, but either way, like this is this was supposed to be like con- conceptually like. This was supposed to be the like the the peak of Cutcliffe. He just had his first round quarterback, so now they're gonna like to me they're gonna take a step back with with Quentin Harris, and I look around at the rest of the I think the conference is pretty healthy. Otherwise, I I think this is an underplay personally. Uh, I'm with you on under. I will I will take it back to uh, mentioning last year, the only quarterbacks to beat Army were Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones. So let's not forget that. The only quarterbacks to beat the United States Military Academy on the football field. They started off with Army Baylor Northwestern wins. In fact, yeah. to, to finish at 7 and 5 in the regular season, 8 and 5 after the bowl win was some a really disappointing uh performance in ACC play, which makes me wonder if there's a like in 2013, Duke won the ACC's Coastal Division, and it was, uh, you know, kind of this like breakthrough storybook kind of situation. Everything was coming together. This was the moment where Duke football had really arrived and pulled itself out. David Cutcliffe was the one who got him there. There have been, you know, the the NFL players that have come through. Things have changed. They've done a better job on the recruiting trail, being able to identify players that are in state that might be good for Duke University and, and being able to get them uh, to Duke and get them to participate where they might be leaving the state or going elsewhere to to get their education and play football. But I, I wonder if the ACC and in particular, in particular the ACC Coastal just kind of has has re- has settled on Duke and not that Duke does anything wa- not that Duke does anything schematically or specifically that is difficult to defend it's not uh, I do not factor them in or group this in with Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech where you know Bud Foster wrote the book on how to defend that offense and and he just had it and Virginia Tech always was was going to be there ready to answer the call of defending Paul Johnson's offense I don't think it's quite that but when you've got that that early season non-conference success against really good teams, Army, Northwestern, Baylor, but then you go like three and five, I believe, in uh, in conference play, That I think that drop-off might be a little bit with familiarity. And so when we combine that familiarity, which is going to sustain, when we take a quarterback who I do think is going to be a, a little bit of a step down, at least in terms of the threat that he presents – uh, Daniel Jones to from Daniel Jones to Quentin Harris, then yeah, I'm I'm gonna think that we've got about a a one win step back. Now you know that that final grouping of at Wake Forest Miami, I feel like 
you know, those two games are going to be spots where Duke's going to be fighting for a bowl game. I think that they probably get there, but if you're going to give me six and a half, uh, I'm going to be going under. I've got this at six and six. I've got my losses as Syracuse, Notre Dame, at UVA, at Virginia Tech, Alabama, and then uh, one other mystery game. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I grant David Cutcliffe the respect of being able to pull like a Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald type of season where it's like, how the hell did those guys piece together that record? Um, but I don't, I can't figure out where they're coming. And I, I've, I think there's some other really good coaches on this schedule that he's got to go up against that he just isn't going to have the horses for. Um, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm sort of comfortably on the under, actually. Count them up. The Pitt Panthers, led by Pat Narduzzi, uh, at this point firmly entrenched in his position. Uh, they did get to the ACC championship game after a really good sort of mid-season run where they were able to take out a lot of coastal opponents and emerge from the coastal chaos as champions at 6-2 and two with the league record. Their over-under win total here is set at 6 Right there at six. So, I mean, how do you know success? Oh man, I don't have my Narduzzi yet. I, I thought I thought I had it. It was like in my head, but he's he had these really funny comments. He's like, I mean, would you rather go ten and two and not play in the ACC championship game, or would you rather go six and six and play in the ACC championship game? I don't know. I don't know what defines success. Third I'd row, go ten and two, coach. <laughs> are, are you listening? <laughs> yeah, hey, everybody. We I want him at the front of the class. I want my football players at the front of the class. There we go. <laughs> He's, he's intense. That's the key. The key is to get he the is intense. That dude is intense. Yes. Uh, where uh, are you at? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think six and six is the right number here. I mean, or, or you know, the six is the right total. I, I've, I, I envision a six and six season, but if you gotta hold my feet to the fire and say over or under, I tend to think over and just pit figuring out a way i i do think you know i'm not a big believer in sean watson as an offensive coordinator and so that they made that move to mark whipple is got to be a positive um i think he's gonna be I, I think beneficial to kenny pickett's development at quarterback kenny pickett i think is pretty good um kenny pickett's fun he is a fun quarterback to watch go out there and game it up. Yeah. And he's, I mean, it's, I just think they're going to give him a better opportunity. Um, and he's got pretty good receivers around him, too. The, the run game is going to be the question. I mean, they, they had to replace a lot on the offensive line. They got to replace 2,000-yard running backs. So, but I, I think that just the, to me, sort of the culture of the program should be able to punch out some some physical run game um and then i think here we are i mean what are we in year this year five narduzzi at pit man he's been there for a minute yeah but he should have like there should be no excuse on defense um there's i mean he's got he's had plenty of time to bring in his players he's got some good ones that are i mean i think even just like i could look at this list and find guys i like demar hamlin paris ford those guys are are really good back end players um Rashad Weaver, a defensive line, I think is 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 a really good player. Like they've they've got, I think, enough players on defense to to give people problems. And so I just look at 
six and six being about what this team is, and then Pat Narduzzi, uh, you know, punches through a window a couple times and gets them <laughs> to a, another win here or there. You know, uh, look, you are a hundred percent right. the The defense is experienced. It has been built up, and at the at the risk of sounding like I'm just you know drinking out of the the media days platitudes fountain like I believe truly as you hinted and mentioned the the pit program has embodied the head coach's culture and he's put it in place and what we saw last season was the proof positive that was the evidence that things uh, continue to move in the right direction and that this is a very very good fit and I I see in Pittsburgh the wins that had me going under for teams like Miami and Virginia Tech, where the odds makers are are coming out here and they're saying, uh, "Look, you know, we're expecting Miami and Virginia Tech to be eight nine win teams, and we're expecting Pitt to be closer to six. And I I don't see that. I see Pittsburgh as a team that you know can go into Blacksburg. Yeah, they they could go into Blacksburg and come out as a winner. Uh, I expect Pitt to beat Miami when uh, when Miami comes to town in late October. Like those those games are just places where I find myself on the opposite side of the odds makers and maybe even on the opposite side of sort of traditional thinking where you're imagining Miami, Virginia Tech, these these brands because it's not just um, it's it's not just sort of the the development within the pit program, but I feel like. Narduzzi's done a really good job of identifying the players that are going to play uh, sort of the style that he wants and win the way that they want to win. It's tough in the non-con. Like if you want, you got at Penn State, UCF, but uh, outside of that, man, I I just see some, I see a, a lot of good opportunities for some, in particular, in division wins. Like when I did my order of finish, I think I had Pitt, uh, ahead of Miami behind Virginia Tech as third place in the Coastal. Oh, damn. So you're going all the way down to number four in the Coastal for Miami, huh? Yeah. All right. I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, granted, again, we're talking about the difference between six and two, five and three, and four and four. Right. Or like, or where your five and three stacks up with the five and three next to you. Correct. So I, yeah. I, I have to look at it much more abstractly to put them one through seven, understanding that uh, the ultimate differences between two and five might be one game. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. but I'm, 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 I'm higher on Pittsburgh than I am on Miami. And I, I feel more certain in what Pittsburgh can be than I am with Virginia tech over. Uh, yeah, that's, I think, so I were on the same page there with Pitt. Don't doubt the nard dog. How many games are going to win this fall? The Virginia Wahoos, we've mentioned them already uh, once. We're finally at the ACC Coastal Champions. The ACC Coastal preseason pick. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall and the Cavaliers over under win total as we're looking at it, six and a half or six? Uh, I, I've seen it at six and a half. Six and a half. Uh, as, as we go through the schedule, there are you know potentially daunting spots there. I mean, how about Old Dominion just playing everybody in the ACC? They get one win, and then it's uh, then it's on. Uh, they got Liberty at the end of the year. They got Florida State from the cross division. They start at Pitt in the first Saturday of the year. So as, as we're looking at this, I mean, we've already kind of hinted at you know where we stand and a little bit bullish. I told you I'm picking them to win the Coastal, but how – 
Like what, what's the mindset behind it? What's the logic behind how you view the Cavaliers uh, for the upcoming season? Well, I, I, I mean, I view the steady progression of program building under Bronco Mendenhall as a guy that's a, a, a sort of an eternal nine-win coach at BYU. He starts with a program at a mess at 2-10. and 10. He, you know, They get to 6-7 and seven, somewhere in the mix there. They're talking about how there's only 27 ACC caliber players on the roster. Uh, then they, they elevate to 8-5. and five. They find a quarterback in Bryce Perkins that's can can run the physical offense and and also can throw the ball around a little bit and and here we are next season why why do we think they're going to take a step back to six and six I I don't get it and so I mean I it, Brock and Minden, Bronco Mendenhall if nothing else is good at at developing players evaluating like building a strong consistent program and with a quarterback coming back I mean I know that they've got some you know I guess the 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 run game is is and and the skill position has got to get some new playmakers step up uh Olamide Zacchaeus is that how you say his name uh Olamide uh, Olamide yeah Olamide Zacchaeus is I mean that that guy was was a critical piece of the puzzle there. Um, offensive line feels like they got to replace a few guys there, but like, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not that concerned that they're capable of doing that. I've got Virginia at nine and three. Yeah. I, I think that's more likely than six and six. I, I mean, and, and this is coming off the top rope being really bullish, but like, you're going to I understand that no one like wants no no I don't know if there's a big national pining for UVA football to 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 catch the fever, right? Uh you know the I don't I don't think that there's anyone who's sitting around is like, "Man, I I would really like to see Scott Stadium in Charlottesville rocking." You know? No one's like, "Man, I you know what I want to see? I want to see some rowdy bow ties in the stands. I want to see those uh I want to see those nice pleated khakis on that lawn behind the goalposts. <laughs> like, no, it's it's not a popular thing. But I will tell you that when Florida State comes to town on September 14th with all the energy that has been injected, not and don't overlook the uh, overflow value of Tony Bennett and the basketball team winning the national championship for just making everything, uh, you know, energized throughout that athletic department. I think that is a, a huge statement game, and I think that's a huge statement game that UVA can win. I've got their losses uh, at Notre Dame, uh, and and then after that, just kind of like, uh, yeah, you're probably going to lose two more, but there's not one that I would consider certain. I would think that losing, like Hugh Freeze bringing Liberty in there to beat UVA before the Virginia Tech game seems more likely than some of these conference games. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I think when you get through, like, let's just say they beat or they lose to Notre Dame. I, I agree with you that there's not another game on the schedule that you're looking at it and you're like, I think they probably lose that game. I mean, they're all within, with, I mean, they're not going to be underdogs by more than a, 
by, by more than a score for any any other game. Especially with like your Bronco bringing back almost the entire front seven and an all-American defensive back like Bryce Hall. Yes. That defense is going to be so good. Yes. And they there's so much like there's so much continuity with this program too. I mean it's it's like the same staff he had at BYU and it's and they've all been the same guys since he's been at Virginia and there's every and the quarterback returns and there's a good one and there's everything pointing to this being just all right they have they have gotten on the tracks now they you know I I keep on looking at the schedule and like the worst possible scenario I can come up with is seven and five so why in the world are the odds makers still stuck with Virginia at six or six yeah, and a half. And, and now, and now that it's clearly not, uh, I'm clearly not like the sharp in the room. Like everyone's picking them to win the coastal, I guess. So now I'm all, uh, now I don't know what to think because is, 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 is it now the group think? Um, because I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There is definitely a potential of group think. I think our friend, uh, Hey, Tom, Tom, have you uh, have you seen Tom Fernelli is working on the Tom Fernelli Team of Excellence Award? I have, yeah. A little disappointed. There's no FCS teams on there, but uh, otherwise, yeah, you know, it's it's a good endeavor. I have an insight in. I've got to. I've got. I've got to leave my hat at the door, but I do have insight into the committee room. Okay. And I will hint, and I will be curious to see if it comes up on locks, but. He was a big Bronco uh, fan and supporter early when the turnaround started. He referred to Virginia often last year as my beloved who's and all this public sentiment has forced the contrarian Tom Fernelli into the other side. Virginia is on the chopping block for the Tom Fernelli team of excellence just based on being picked first in the coastal. I did see that. I did. Yeah, that was uh that's that's the the first tough blow for Bronco this offseason <laughs> is is missing missing out on the Tom Fernelli team of excellence poll. Uh, yeah, man, it's um, I'm gonna keep riding uh, it. I'm I'm gonna keep yeah, riding this. I mean, like, it's one of these it's one of these deals where it's like the, a line is just so ridiculous, but you know how much better one team is than the other, and it's like I'm not gonna fall into this, you know. Vegas is tricking me trap. Like I'm just going to roll with it. And I, I'm kind of like that, that way too. I mean, six and six, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Count them up. The North Carolina Tar Heels in year one under Mac Brown expectations are uh, not super high. I think that the most optimistic North Carolina fan would like to beat NC state and the most, most optimistic fan would like to beat NC State and get to a bowl game. The Vegas over-under win total for the Tar Heels is set at four and a half. The season is absolutely brutal out the gates. You start against South Carolina and Charlotte. Then you welcome Miami, which has had a week off following its week zero game against Florida. So if Miami loses that, you're going to have a very angry Hurricanes team coming to Chapel Hill. Then they play Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, which is actually a non-conference game. And then they welcome App State and Clemson in back-to-back weeks before, honestly, like the first truly winnable game of the schedule for me, Barton, comes October 5th at Georgia Tech. So how in the world does a North Carolina fan look at this schedule and uh, and start chalking up some wins? <clears throat> well, I, I think the idea here is to remind yourself that you guys weren't as bad as two and nine last year 
I mean, they had there were five games that they lost that were within one score. Mm, good point. I mean, they. I think that this is a team. Like I bet you, Larry Fedora, and this is a standard line by a lot of coaches. But I bet Larry Fedora is like, you know, I left them a pretty good team. Or you know what? We were close, man. I wish they'd give me another another year. We were going to turn around. Now that's coaches convince themselves of that all the time. But I bet he believes that. I bet he believes they were snake bit last year, dealt with injuries, couldn't find a quarterback. They finally started to sort of get one in place even late last year. Like some of the young guys started to to turn the corner a little bit. And now they've got three good options with Jace Reuter, Cade Fortin, and Sam Howell. I think whoever wins that job will be competent. Um, They return plenty on both sides of the ball. And they've got a pretty good set of coordinators coming in for them. I mean, Jay Bateman and Phil Longo, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, are that's a pretty good pair. Um, and so I guess my argument for North Carolina is the line is what? Uh, what do we like? Four and a half? Four and a half. Line's four and a half. If if they split those, you know, if they if they just win two of those five games, close games they lost, and they finished uh, four and eight last year instead of two and nine. Does five and seven seem a little less or a little more attainable? Um, I think North Carolina will be decent this year. Now, by decent, I mean I think they got a shot at five and seven. I really do. I'm I'm going over here. I'm going under, and uh, I think that I I do think that it is going to at least be hinging on the App State game. But I I think they're going to start zero and three, and I think the App State's going to come to town with a lot of experience left over from a team that's experienced a lot of success. No Scott Satterfield, and you know not a lot of those key assistants. Eli Drinkwitz has sort of built out his own staff from uh, what was there before, so. You know, I think that that game is probably a very, very close and competitive football game that they've got a chance. But then uh, we mentioned Clemson right after that. I expect that will be a lopsided Tigers victory. I don't think North Carolina is going to win in Blacksburg. The Duke game and the NC State game are a little bit tough just because Mac does have that whole, like, I was the UNC coach for 10 years, and in those years when Mac Brown was the head coach, especially before you know, he got him up to top five, top 10 in the country and left for Texas. Like the football game of the season was Duke and NC State. So if if there's a little extra ump through the building during those weeks, I would not be surprised. But at Pitt, I think is a loss. UVA, I think is a loss. It's, uh, it's, it's just really tough for me to find a way to get this thing, to get this thing even like sniffing six and six or comfortably to five and seven with such a tough start to the schedule, uh, I think that I'm falling back into the idea that this is going to be a four and eight season. Yeah, that's four and eight. Certainly, I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. I've got on my just sort of prediction here. I got them with a win over Mercer, a win over App State, a win over Georgia Tech, uh, and I've got them beating Duke, and I've got them upsetting Virginia. So, again, you can replace that upset with 
anything. I mean, I've just sort of picked Virginia as a spot where I thought they would get somebody. Right. Uh, and I think – so I guess this is, this is just a bet that people are undervaluing North Carolina m- more – more than it is me having some like deep rooted belief that North Carolina is is a really good team. I, I just think that they were closer last year than people realized. They have good players and they have a quarterback. I think they'll have a quarterback. I guess we don't know that. I think they'll have a quarterback. Uh, and and those things combined is not a bad recipe. Uh, and I got to be honest with you, I've been kind of impressed with Mac Brown this off season. More than I thought I would be. He's he is. I think he is going. He's better equipped for this than I gave him credit for. I think when the first when the hire was initially announced, and uh, in some ways that's probably going to mean he's he lets his coordinators and his coaches work. But uh, I just think they got a shot here. I think it's the opposite, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but. Uh, he is, have you have you heard any of his comments about acknowledging the CEO coach reputation and uh, how he feels like at Texas he let his assistants have too much power? Well, no, I didn't hear that. He's he said I will not make that mistake again. I have to answer for every aspect of the football program. So from, you know, I'm going to have them, you know, do the work, but I'm going to be the final say of every aspect. Because the question was, uh, what did you learn from your time at Texas that's going to help you uh, here at North Carolina? And he was like, I, I understand this is a strong statement, but I will not again let my assistants have too much power. I'm the head coach of the football program. I have to be able to answer for every single thing, recruiting, game planning, all of it. It's they, you know, other, I'm going to ask for help and I'm going to set them up to succeed, but the final say has to be with me. I just wonder what that means. I wonder if that me like it's, I'm actually okay with that unless that means I'm going to get in there and start drawing up plays. <laughs> like, I, I just don't, I if if I'm if I'm a North Carolina fan, I don't want Mac leading the X's and O's side of it. Sure. I don't I don't want him I don't want him dictating the scheme. Now he can dict you know, I'm okay with him dictating the you know, the direction, you know, hey, we gotta we gotta be more physical. We gotta we gotta get uh we gotta get Sam Howell to use his legs more. Whatever. Like that's but I I'm okay with that. I just don't want to, you know, Mac Brown to be sitting there uh, looking over the shoulder of Phil Longo and Jay Bateman in their, in their meeting rooms uh, trying to give them tips on scheme. I just don't think he's got that anymore. So I guess that quote doesn't scare me, you know, with the caveat that I, I hope he means what I think he means. <laughs> How many games are going to win this fall? And finally, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets bring us to the conclusion of the ACC Coastal Division win totals. Jeff Collins has got uh, a whole bunch of energy, and he's got big dreams, and and he's got what appears to be an uphill battle to uh, make the Yellow Jackets once again where they were, like not even you know five, six, seven years ago, which was in Charlotte playing for the ACC championship. So uh, Georgia Tech's win total, as we're looking at it, is at four. They open the year at Clemson on that first Thursday night launch of the ACC Network right there. They host South Florida, the Citadel. They go to Temple uh, 
I tell you what, do you think Jeff Collins has got some good ideas on Temple's personnel right now? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know how much that helps him. He probably recruited better at Temple than, than Paul Johnson did at Georgia Tech. Oh, that's true. He maybe wishes he had Temple when they line yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, four, four wins, expectations not high. Um, you, you know, your your win total pick, sure, but also, you know, what you're, what you're looking for uh, out of this squad. Well, I'm on the under because, I, I mean, think about it. Paul Johnson just recruited bodies. Like, he recruited – like he didn't even care. He was he was disengaged, uh, uninterested in who they recruited. They just they were just throwing bodies at the program, and he could he could you know funnel those bodies through and run his wing T and or or and and that's it. And now all of a sudden those bodies are trying to run a real offense, and I just don't think that the talent is going to be there. Like the whole idea of that offense is to allow a more disciplined team to win with misdirection and 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 uh, smoke and mirrors, basically, and discipline to to beat a team that is more talented. I mean, that's sort of like the purpose of it. And so, I think the fact that now they're inheriting a roster that where they're going to try to do some real football stuff with uh, that's that's unfair that that was real football stuff but to try to actually kind of evolve the offense with the talent that that Paul Johnson recruited I just think it's a it's it's a futile enterprise in this season and so this is going to be a foundational year I think it's a you know there's gonna be moral victories this year all over the place it's about playing close because early in the year it's going to be ugly and it doesn't start any uglier than that Clemson uh they probably lose to USF. They, you know, I assume they'll beat Temple or, or the Citadel, but I don't know. They beat Temple. Like their their non conference isn't even like they play Georgia non conference. Like other than the Citadel, like this is a, this is like one of the tougher non conference schedules out there. And then they got to play a, a a division where everybody needs a win. I just don't see this being being too productive of the season. I did not play uh, football. Uh, competitively at, at any kind of high level. And, you know, even within that, I, I, I certainly don't don't have that hand in the dirt, feet in the cleats uh, that you have, Barton. But when you just let uh, – <laughs> when you just threw out that shot at real football stuff, was that what it feels like to just see a wide receiver get behind the coverage? Like it, it got out. And you immediately were like, "Oh, that wasn't good." <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I don't. That felt I, like I, busted coverage. That felt that, like what yeah. busted coverage. Because like, it is like that's in some ways like that's the best kind of football. Like that's fun. That's like I I have so much respect for what Paul Johnson did and, and accomplished and what that product was. But to turn the page on it, I just don't think it's as simple as beca- because you have re- you the whole. F- the whole theory of the of the program has been built upon talent doesn't really matter. Well, now all of a sudden talent is going to start mattering, and it's going to take some time to get that built up. So, uh, so it, it's I guess um, yeah that that's that's that is the wrong phrase to use, but it's still there's some truth to it. The uh, you know that it's a a year zero when um, the players get up there first 
and you're talking to the players, you're like, all right, what defines success? Well, you know, success for us is just getting better every single day. You know, each yeah. day better than the one before it. And then you get to start talking to the coach. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to judge success by wins and losses this year. We're just all about getting better, you know, every single day. I was like, okay, not a lot of wins in the forecast for this. <laughs> of course, there's probably no one more trained in that media day than the players at Georgia Tech because Paul Johnson's all, or um, uh, Jeff Collins is all about branding and the messaging, and I'm sure he uh, had them well coached on what to say. So, but hey, that probably, that speaks too to what his perspective is. Like, let's just let's just focus on the day. Let's. They're, they're yes. gonna need to. This is this is where we've got to start right now. Uh, just by getting better, because if you try to wrap your mind around what it's gonna, what what the standings are gonna look like in late November, if you're if you're thinking about that in August, you you don't even have a chance. No doubt. Yeah. It's uh, uh yeah, and I and and along the way, you're getting the best team from the Atlantic and three really good non-conference. It's just a, this is an easy under for me. Easy under. Uh, all right, we will be back on Thursday with the ACC's Atlantic Division. Do head on over to 24-7 Sports to see the latest rankings. Feel free to jump in Barton's Twitter mentions and tell him uh, whatever you want to do, whatever you're angry about. Are you ready for it? Do you have your like your mute button ready? No mutant. I'm, I'm going to read them all. I'm callous to it. It makes me stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Feed me. Uh, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve.